Bring all the boys to the front, everyone. Bring them on up. This is a special service today, and it's just for boys. So come on up. I see boys with different colors of hair, of skin, whose parents were Catholic, Jews, Muslims, and atheists. But now, they're all storytellers, true. The story unites us. The story is the event we all witness. And the story must be told. Now, this is the one time a year where I bless all the boys. We don't smudge oil, nor do we sprinkle water. <laughs> we like to harden our youth, to make them soldiers for the story. So line on up, boys. One line, I'm not doing two. <laughs> okay, come up here, Brandon. Liturgical director Carl, go ahead and play the hymn, and I'll begin the blessings. May you live the story, you piece of shit. May you live the story, little fucking asshole turd shit boy. Live the story, mommy's little ass licker. Yeah, fuck you too. Get out of here and live that story, shit stink. Oh. Colin Myers, how are you doing? Live the story, I'm gonna spit in your fucking eye. Live the story, my little tugger. All right. Well, that's all the boys. Just six, which is less than last year. So let this be a lesson to parents. Breed, breed, breed. I'll say it again. Breed, breed, breed. Mix your sexual butters together and, and cook up a boy pie. Lord knows we use them up quick. <laughs> But to you boys, may you live, may you love, may you tell the story with your hearts, your deeds, and your words. The story must be told. This story must be told. The Boys Open by Sweet Corn Hot Corn. The wife and I had been saving pennies for two years to afford the tickets. The day we reached the sum we needed, we both cried, holding each other. We had worked and scrimped so hard, eating half portions for weeks of rumbling guts and food-starved dreams. The day the tickets went on sale, I arrived five hours early, only to find a line of more experienced buyers stretching around the block, all of them having slept the night before on the pavement by the onsetter's building. I counted them all best I could, wrangled the arithmetic in my head, and rightfully feared that I would not be able to purchase tickets. I was wrong. Six hours in the baking sun later, I was the last of the common people to purchase a ticket, and I ran home promptly after, my hand clutched to my breast pocket as though racing a heart attack. I threw the door open to our woefully modest home, and saw the wife with a hoop of cross-stitch half-heartedly threaded on her lap. She didn't even have to ask, having seen my expression, and we joined arms and leaped and laughed with the tears on our cheeks. Our prayers were answered. We would attend the boys' open. 
Four days, 3,000 boys. Competitions of strength, dexterity, fashion, and breeding. The Boys Open came to our province every six years. Tickets seized by the white wigs and the local government, and the barons and baronesses in their boutique formal wear. But this year, the Lord had favored me to witness the boys of all the Empire's nations with my own eyes. The week preceding the opening events were a blur of dream. I found it hard to believe my feet walked solid ground, convinced I was floating. The wife had continued to starve herself, saving her own stipend for lip creams and eye chalk, making room for extra tugs of corset lace so that she could shine among the noblewomen of the festivities. When the first day arrived, we skipped the trolley and walked the whole way in our finest dress, giving neighbors a peek of our hard-earned privilege. "'Say hello to the boys!' the grocer laughed. "'The boys! The boys!' the children squealed in their orbits about us, two shining stars. "'Harumph!' the milkmaiden scoffed, churning her butter with spite. The jealousy, the adoration, it was as though the wife and I were boys ourselves. Though only a scant portion of seats, the least favorable of advantages, mind you, were open to commoners, the mob before the common entrance was violent. Scalpers and thieves practiced their craft upon the dim-witted and distracted. Fathers sought to control their children, mothers sought to rein in their husbands, and horses, not understanding the commotion, shat on the dirt. The wife and I pressed ourselves mutely into the throng, inching closer to the gates. A woman in front of us was denied entrance. Her tickets were forgeries, expensive ones, too. She had to be escorted away by guards. Such was her fury, her shattered expectation. The moment before the agent approved our tickets, my brow spurt quarts of perspiration, sure at the crucial moment we would be denied. The wife's hand gripped mine until it felt needles. Enjoy the boys, the agent winked. We were in. The open began with the parade of boys. Though we were too high in the stands to make out facial features, the sheer variety of boys was enough to steal our breath. The wife gathered a scorecard from a nearby vendor, and we marked each type of boy we saw. First came the small boys, then the medium boys, then the rotund husky boys whose waists even I envied. Boys of brown pigment, soft tan, white and pink, with shining black hair and clean-shaven heads. Boys whose hair hid their necks and upper backs like girls, but they were boys all the same. Despite the excitement, the wife put into words a weight that was tugging at my heart. Such a waste, she sighed. I squeezed her palm. A gap formed in the line of parading boys, and the final boy was carried out. He was the winning boy from the open six years prior, and as was tradition, he was carried out upon a skeletal throne built from the debris of defeated boys. He was now only thirteen years old, I guessed. He must have been a fierce competitor to defeat so many boys at only seven years of age the last open. In old times, he may have grown to be a general, a president, but those were the days of barbarians, democracies. It was better this way. The next three days showcased the best the Empire's boys could offer. They leapt, they swam, they fought, and they gave their bodies to measurement with calipers and scales. The wife and I instantly agreed on our favorite to win, a boy with a muscular build and strong knees who had decimated the competition in the deadlift. 
He was modest, which we admired, and as the next competition showcased, he could spit farther than any man I had seen and woman I had loved. A boy for the ages, the wife and I agreed. His next win during the formal wear competition was such a surprising triumph that half the stadium was on its feet, chanting in full-throated unison, One true boy! One true boy! When he was bested at the tightrope walk on the third day, it was hard not to take the loss personally. We were not alone in the loss, for when they lowered his bound, squirming body to the meat thrashers, our cries mingled with others. Could we not save one boy? Surely he could replace a mule in the field, a stallion in the breeding pits. I saw wealthier patrons for whom the boys open was a minor distraction gather their servants and leave after his destruction, a show of gaudy protest. The wife and I would have joined them were this not a singular event in our lives. We did not anticipate our champion would take the crown. No, but if nothing else, we could get our money's worth. On the final day of festivities, only 15 boys remained, including the wry 13-year-old carried in on the pyre of skeletons. The ultimate competition left strength and agility behind and tested the boys on the most critical of traits, endurance. Each boy climbed a wooden pillar without aid and stood atop the narrow circular ledge, toes gripping the edges. A band of lutes and accordions played the Empire's anthem three times through as agents of the boys' open stacked tinder, kindling, and great logs of fuel beneath each pillar. On the final note of groaning accordion, the games master twirled the traditional green and purple pattern flag and the fires were started. Two boys lost their balance immediately, one coughing from smoke inhalation, and they fell twenty feet to the ground with a crunch of shattered bone. Agents met their skulls with clubs and maces so as not to distract the remaining competitors with their cries. The wife yawned and rolled her eyes. Womenfolk never could understand the excitement of this last trial, something lacking in their feminine temperament. The men of the crowd and the more masculine of the women, however, were enthralled by every wobble of form, every cough of lungs, every stifled cry of burned flesh. The thirteen remaining boys stood equal for five minutes before the flames took their toll. In a flash, two wooden pillars were striped with flame, climbing until the boys at top, steadfast in their position, were consumed in fire. The crowd gave a polite clap. This was the honorable way to lose. Twenty more minutes passed, and nine other boys were taken out of contest. Three fell, five were consumed, and one pillar collapsed having been weakened by flame. Luck was just as much reason to lose, and the agents promptly clubbed the unfortunate boy's skull. Impressively, the last winner was still among the two standing, and as the other competitor's pillar streaked with orange and his feet began to smolder, it was clear he would win again, or so we thought. The former winner, seeing how close he was to the end, broke his forward gaze. He peered to the ground, with all the concern of having dropped a coin. Then he jumped. A gasp rose instantaneously from the thousands watching, and the boy whose feet blistered and charred could hardly believe the sight. While agents clubbed the old winner's brain, others extinguished the new winner's flames. 
He was a ten-year-old boy from the eastern province, with a shiny mat of black hair and healthy bronze skin. The wife and I stayed in our seats as the rest of the crowd left for the attached banquet halls. We took stock of the landscape. There was where an island boy held his breath for three whole minutes. Over there, a rare red-headed boy was impaled by spikes. There was where our one true boy fell from the tightrope and earned his fate with the other losers. It was the greatest contest of sport we had ever seen. Minutes later, we were in the banquet room, where the meat of the boys was gathered in delicate trays for the rich, covered in gravy on troughs for us common. By the time we took our plates to the front of the line, it was mostly face parts and fingers left, but there was meat enough to salvage. We laughed, playing with our food, poking each other with the fingers, and trying on new ears for size. Nearby nobles turned their noses at our play. Have they no respect for the games? they asked, stuffing rib meat into their swollen cheeks. We paid no mind. Like all but one of the boys, this would most likely be our only boys open. Riding the trolley home that night, the wife asked me if we could somehow attend it again in six years. I put a hand to my neck. It's hard to say. I was fortunate to earn the salary I have this year, and if we wish to buy a plot, then we shouldn't really... The wife sighed and laid her head on my shoulder, rocking gently in the half-full trolley. I hated to disappoint her like that. Unless, of course, we have a boy of our own one day. She smiled up to me. Do you mean it? I don't see why not. Any boy can enter the qualifying rounds. And even parents of boys cut in initial rounds have preference for buying tickets. He'd have to be born soon. Then we'll start tonight, I said with a kiss. Then slowly, a slip of tongue. How hopeful we were. How we glowed. Truly, it was hard not to find the spirit lifted, the heart strengthened, and the vows reaffirmed after such majesty as our first boys open. The story must be told. Well then, today we have a special reading. Ponder what this story tells us in these words and what it means for our boys, the brutish citizens of their own pitiless story. The Boys Open, one of my favorite stories we share here. So Brother Reed, come up, come join me. Uh, come on, don't be shy, get up here. Ah. It is good to be here with you, Pastor Andrew. As with you, Brother Reed. And to be here with the congregation. Yeah, in the congregation as well. And I'm very pleased to be in the presence of our dear Deacon Adam. Deacon Adam, can you come up here with us? Come on us? up here. Ladies and gentlemen, Deacon Adam. It's good to be here with you, Pastor Andrew, Brother Reed. As with you, Deacon Adam. As with you, Deacon Adam. And to be here with the congregation is a delight, too. Yes, yes, yes. The, 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 the congregation as well. And liturgical director Carl, it's an honor to be beside you in the story. Come on up. It's, uh, it's good to be here with you all. Now, as I was saying, Brother Reed, did you enjoy the story? I did. All right, that is all for today. Go out. 
and serve the story with your own grimy fingers. That was the story. You know, we would love for you to worship with us. So come out to our first ever live show, October 11th, 2018, at Videology in Brooklyn. We're kicking off the service at 7.30 p.m., and we won't be able to praise the story without you, so join us. Must be told, and I am made out of meat. We are proud to be hosted on the Last Podcast Network, lastpodcastnetwork.com, and it's not the kind you buy at the grocery. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TSMBTPod. That's right, it's the kind God squirts out of his God hole. We got shirts for sale. Affordable Handsome from Topato Co. We got links on our social medias. And the Lord, he said when I got squat out of his hams, ooh, just a gooey teen. Rate and review us on iTunes, that'd be nice. And I can tell you right now, I swooned. This was a Post Everything production. We got short films, look at them on Vimeo. Now, now I am the son of God and I know all the names of the people who masturbated today. We'll be back next week and uh-oh, I'll know a secret or two about you, Ryan. The story must be told.